Hello and welcome to Read It For The Pictures, the comic book podcast where we read it for the pictures. I'm Dave Clark, and with me is a tiny floating green space alien that only I can see, Neil Caput. How you doing, Neil? Okay, dum-dum, this week we're doing something different. We're doing a graphic novel available on Comixology Unlimited, The Original 30 Days of Night. Written by Steve Niles, illustrated by Ben Temple Smith. This is from 2007. Wow, it's a decade old. Um, my notes say it came out in 2002. Really? Okay, this must be a later printing then. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But yes, this has been made into a movie that neither of us have seen, and it was pretty popular. It was one of the First big things to come out of IDW Publishing. The basic premise is that it takes place in a town in Alaska that doesn't see the sun for 30 days a year, which makes it a prime feeding ground for vampires. And it's from the perspective of Evan and Stella, husband and wife cops, who have to survive this vampa palooza. Yeah, it's... um... It seems to have been, yeah, it's pretty popular. It went on to spawn a bunch of follow-up series. But yeah, today we'll just be talking about the first, I believe it's called 30 Days of Night Volume 1, which collects the first three-issue miniseries. Yes, it, and the thing I find hard to swallow about the premise isn't the vampires. It's that the vampires would come all the way out of nowhere just to go to this one place. I mean, yeah, it's easy eating, but I'm sure it's just people in Alaska. I mean, it's going to take so long to get there that you probably only have a few days to feed, and most of the time you're just going to be jet-lagged anyway. Well, people go to Burning Man, and that's just hanging around in the desert taking drugs. People who go to Burning Man have more hours of the day in which they actually can travel. Because if vampires travel during the sunlight elsewhere, they literally become burning men. And they only last for a few seconds before they're just dead. Huh. I mean, really, it's I had it's got to be like one of those trips that's such an ordeal that by the time you get there, you're just too exhausted for it even to matter. I hadn't say I hadn't considered the logistics of travel for this. I I just figured they'd just travel during the night, but... Anyway, I anyway I thought this was a fun like a fun little premise. It is, and it's definitely an interesting one. Not to toot my own horn for picking this, but toot toot. And it was interesting from an artistic perspective as well as just from a conceptual perspective because this is a pretty straightforward horror story. Like there's. I don't think there is even a bigger point to the story about the human nature or Alaskan culture or whatever. It's just people trying to survive being in a town full of vampires. And that knowing what we know about horror movies and other horror stories, including survival horror video games for that matter... It's an interesting way to see what kind of tricks only comics can do with this medium. Yeah, it's um quite unique from an art perspective. 
I remember thinking it was somewhat fitting that the first graphic novel we talked about was a collaboration between an American and an Australian. That goes what we're doing here. Oh, oh yeah, I hadn't considered that either. I did have some problems with the art, which I may as well get into now, because this may just be a function of the story, but it's also just does it makes it kind of well, let's just say there really aren't any backgrounds in this besides white paint effects. There's a few cases where we can see a sense of place, but most of the time it's just white with occasional splatters of red. And I guess that's the point because it takes place in a play- town that's under such a snowstorm the sun's blocked out. But and, But there are a lot of panels where the figures just look like they're floating. And I know Temple Smith painted all this himself. I was reading up on his techniques, and he only uses Photoshop for a few layer effects and polishes. But we all, but there are cases where there's just so much of the page that's not used, and the effects are pretty to look at, but they don't really communicate anything. I don't know. Did you have that problem too? Um. Well. Just for anyone who's listening but hasn't uh, read the um, comics in question or any of other Ben Templesmith stuff, it is how he does art is very different to what you would see in a normal comic, where just to take the house comics are done, usually it's like everything is penciled out and then um, got like inked and then color is added afterwards. Where Ben Temple Smith seems to do this thing where he paints in like color and texture, and then over the top of that, he uh, applies ink to sharpen up some of the like focal points, like figures and whatnot. And a lot of it just looks like a, a painting texture, and then it's the figures have more detail than the faces more detail still. In some shots, at least. Well, in terms of the ink line work, the figures are pretty comparatively simple and exaggerated. Like, they're relatively cartoony figures against these complicated color schemes and with all the water color and wash effects. So it it has a lot of detail in a different way than we usually see in comics. How style is usually just communicating all the forms by contours with a bu- bunch of hatchy little lines. And this is definitely different. And I think it works in some cases, in other cases, not so well. There's another one thing I really liked about this, though. When it works, it's because it's in very small rectangular panels. Like, there's a lot of the widescreen panels that everyone's been doing since Brian Hitch made it a thing. A thing that inspired comic book movies, it seems. But there's also, there's also like, tiny panels that just have, like, single subjects and not much space for background, which is where this kind of white effect works pretty well. Yeah, well, I... I don't know, perhaps I'm more forgiving on the pages that have mostly nothing in the background because I'm just uh, flicking through it now to get a bit more of a sense. 
but there's always like a texture to make it a, like not appear blank. And I think for the most part, the like the compositions in most of the individual panels are striking and strong enough. There are some cases where the textures are used as kind of an effect to get emphasize the figures. Like on the last page of the second chapter, when we see the bald head vampire Vicente monologuing, you can see some more intense whites kind of circling around his head to kind of direct the eye there at his ugly face with his glowing eyes and glowing red fangs even. And it looks pretty impressive. And Vicente is definitely a frightening creature. He's not exactly a realistic creature, but that's kind of the point. He looks just like something else that happens to be wearing a human skin. Yeah, um, you mentioned on the topic of making frightening creatures, uh, you mentioned that he doesn't really use Photoshop except for a few things. Yeah, that's what I read in an interview anyway. Yeah, I could have sworn that he was using Photoshop to really refine the faces. Well, take my few things interpretation as liberally as you want. I'm sure he does use it to clean it up. You'd have, you kind of have to if the tool is so widely available. But he also, like, you can see so many parts that are unmistakably done by hand. Oh, yeah, but um, like, there seems to be like a real rendering on the like on the faces, particularly the noses. I kept noticing, which I yeah, which. The most striking example for me, I think, is the little girl vampire. Of course, there's always a little girl vampire. Yeah, yeah, if I had to point to a part that I thought was the weakest of this, I would think it would be the little girl vampire whose head is simply too large. Yeah, she does look a bit more comical than the others. I guess that's kind of the point, because it's... The idea of a little girl vampire is inherently disturbing. She looks just like an innocent child, except she's eating a grown man. But it goes kind of into bathos with the level of exaggeration. The big head, the like red decorated lips, even before she starts feeding. And there's even like a handwritten phrase yummy in the panel when she's sinking her teeth into a guy not to mention she's got pig twin tails with like these little purple bows so it's kind of ruins the mood yeah although speaking of color it seems yeah for the most part this is a black and white comic except with a few spots of color on certain characters yeah it's um yeah, it's kind of an interesting approach to take to a comic. It seems that he's tried to only render what the eye would focus on. Like True, and since this is take place in a snowstorm, that would explain the lack of backgrounds, because if you were there, you wouldn't be able to see anything. That So it's clearly a conscious choice 
whether or not the choice works is what we're debating. I think it works in some places and not so well in others. Because I'm not actually here. I still know that I'm a reader and I'm see- I'm look presumably looking at this because I want to see something and sometimes just seeing the white effects isn't enough if there's just so little like a figure and a background. Yeah, I am um, on the topic of how this hit me, I um like I'm not sure it's my favourite art style, but I think there's like a lot that can be gleaned from this and that it's like working with a bunch of I don't know, I guess it lines up with my sort of philosophy of how to approach art because, I mean, ever since the invention of the camera, the ability to render things completely realistically has been somewhat devalued because anyone can do it. And now everyone has a camera in their phone, or in, or in their phone, in their pocket. But the idea of being able to um, render what, people like what someone would feel in a scene is now what i think is the more valuable thing so like completely like working from that like like in there's like a bar scene and it gives the impression that it's crowded but it manages to do that without like cluttering up the scene and really drawing your focus to like, the main guy who's, like, got the only, like, tiny splash of green colour and the vampire dude is this, um, real, like, really hard black, it, yeah, gives a, like, that's how a scene like that would feel, where... True. That's a good point. I suppose it's somewhat, our philosophy somewhat differently because... If you think art is about how it feels, that's true. But with comics, it's also about trying to sell a story. And this particular art style and art choice, it does sell kind of the atmosphere. But it also... How do I put this? The words aren't coming quite right. It seems to sometimes have difficulty delineating character when there's so many just black shadows. And I suppose the characters here aren't terribly complex, like other than being husband and wife and good cops, we don't really know too much about Evan and Stella or why we should care about them beyond the fact that they're unfortunate enough to happen to live in this godforsaken place. Oh, I, if I've got any listeners from Alaska, I apologize for Neil's comments. I'm sure it's lovely there. Yes, I, I actually, I always wanted to go to Alaska, even with their governor. It's a beautiful landscape, and it's got some great wildlife. And I'm sure I have actually have a good friend who lives there who I've only met once in person, so I'm not anti-Alaskan. You hear that, folks? Some of his friends are Alaskan. Oh, God. Yes, the Alaskan people, by which I mean the populate... God, 
There's no way I can get out of this. Okay, it's I can right. see it. But I'm returning. Uh, there are... There, well, I think that trying to communicate as like more of a feeling of a scene works for a lot of this. But when you um, get down to scenes where, in the, where they're in the bunker and they're trying to discuss logistics of how they can escape, it... Um, the art style is a little bit at odds with that. And also, thankfully, there's, like, the two good cop characters are one, like, side character who's, like, eaten, basically, as soon as he's introduced. Um, someone hunting the vampires who's in, like, he's in completely separate scenes that have, like, a sepia tone over them. I assume those are... To set up a later Thirty Days of Night story. Um, I mean, now that there have been a whole bunch of other miniseries, I can only assume they follow up on that thread. But uh, it it is like it only takes like one or two pages in each of the three issues, so I think it just works as more of a thing of like a world building thing. But um, yeah, like. There's like four characters who aren't vampires, and then of the vampires, there's like maybe two or three that are notable. So yeah, working with a very small cast allows you to be a little bit, a lot more loose with the, like with the art style, because yeah, I remember when, way back when, when we talked about uh, Department H, that it had a loose but not quite as loose as this art style, but it was working with a cast of like four or five people and obviously jumping in at the middle of that series, it's um, like, like it was a little bit hard to get a hold on who's who, but yeah, this seems to have been very close to that problem. There's a smaller cast. All the personalities are very strictly defined and it's a, Fairly straightforward horror story with, like, heroic survivors, big, uh, small group of people trying to get out of it alive with a few different personalities. They don't even try to, like, have a diverse array of, of stock horror movie tropes for the survivors. Like, there's no asshole character in the bunker who just does what he can to ruin it for everyone because we're supposed to hate him. It's... Yeah, it's, um... Yeah, I, like... There's plenty of room for what you could do with this premise. Like, three issues doesn't seem like nearly enough to mine everything that you can out of it, which I guess explains the follow-up series. Well, they did... They did a unique universe of vampires, and they can see wanting to read more, especially since... This is a town where there will not be any sparkling vampires. Ain't nothing wrong with vampires that sparkle. Oh, you haven't watched those movies, have you? I watched the first one, and and it is very terrible. I don't think that's because it deviates from vampire lore. Well, my wife and I made a point of renting all the movies to laugh at them. And let me tell you, it gets dumber and dumber with each successive movie. Or, And the movies are faithful enough to the books that, yes, the basic concept gets dumber and dumber with each iteration. Yeah, but at what point does it become comedy? 
from the start, you just have to be in the right mindset. Like, I suppose you've heard the stuff about the werewolf imprinting. Wow, that... We could be forever... We could could spend forever getting into that. But uh, But we don't have to worry about that, because the monsters here are pretty obviously monsters, and they don't try to hide it behind Victorian repression with some messed up psychosexual implications. Returning to the art, um, as far as how things are rendered, um, there is some fairly solid cartooning. True, like... Yeah, it's interesting. The scene where Eben injects himself with vampire blood to fight back against the vamps is that's really impressive especially like the shot on his face as it's coursing through his veins yeah and also should note that all the vamps in this even when they're not feeding they have red mouths bright red and like just pitch black pupils yeah and yeah they are yeah, a lot of red. Oh, and this they got yes. this blood splatter effect when they have the big fight at the end, which yeah. yeah, I'm I'm guessing that may have been that toothbrush trick or something similar to try and get that flick effect across. It looks pretty accurate. It's pretty effective for showing the impacts, and it works very well with it against the backdrops, and it is a very intense and gory fight between Vicente and Vampire Eben. It's... Maybe I'm missing something, but it's kind of hard to believe that Eben, upon becoming a vampire just once, is able to, like, take on all the other vamps and defeat them. Yeah, it's, um... The plot is fairly, like, straightforward, and I think is more of a vehicle for Ben Templesmith's art. Nothing wrong with that. And, I mean, maybe it's like, the, since the vampires are apex predators, they haven't had to learn how to fight. So once they meet a human who has police hand-to-hand combat training, as well as the vampire strength and bloodlust, you can just tear through them. Yeah. And on Vicente, there's this, well, it's on him and also, oh, you know, hang on. Oh, I thought they'd done it one on Vicente, how they render him, his like he's like the background is like a white painted effect and then he's a black painted effect with like line I thought they had scratched out the lines from the black ink, but it seems they've painted the same colour as the background over the figure. Yeah, he's He's a walking visual effect. That's the kind of thing that really only comics can do, and that's something I really appreciated here. Like, could you imagine, like, any other medium having a guy with just that kind of contrast behind him from every angle? Um, well, the Sin City movie did some interesting stuff to, like, put effects on certain things in a scene. And I suppose... Quite remember what which ones you did. Like I know they had the Frodo serial killers glasses completely whited out in all scenes, like in the comic. Yeah, 
But um, yes, it did. Yeah, because like with comics, you can control like the level of realism on everything. You can like sort of set a baseline, and then like if you set a baseline like this, which is fairly impressionistic, you could then get a, a lot of leeway to do different things with different characters. True. Also worth noting, there's another artist here who does the covers for the issues, Ashley Wood. Uh, Yes, I knew you would get excited about that one. Well, of course, since he did the comic adaptations of Metal Gear Solid, as well as doing the motion comic cutscenes for the portable games. And here he does... It's just cover work, but they're definitely striking and evocative covers. Like the first issue, you see a figure done entirely in chiaroscuro shadow, I believe, lying on the bottom tier as if they're passed out or dead, while at the top tier they're just white plus a few red blood spatters. Care, it's an interesting way to do the cover. Like, well, I'm definitely a less is more kind of person when it comes to comic book covers, so I did think that was striking, especially as an inset in a collected edition like we're reading. And the second one is a vampire with like a huge open lamprey mouth recoiling and screaming, and for some reason it doesn't have hands. It just has like little black pointy things for arms. I don't know if there's that's just the way it is or if it's or if it's deliberate to focus more attention on the mouth. And the third cover It's the big skull. Oh yes, the Militaire Sans Frontier. Yeah, it's definitely a vampire skull though. Yeah, it's I, got... I only just noticed that as the covers go on, they have less white space on them. Like, the first cover is, like, divided in half, and the top half is white space, and less so the second, and then it's completely gone with the third. It's it's an appropriate choice to have Ashley Wood do these, because his style isn't quite like Ben Temple Smith's, but they're they're both mixed media painter cartoonists, and I... I don't know, is Ashley Wood from Australia, too? I will claim him. Just a second. Yeah, he is. Hey, what do you know? Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. going on from the covers, which is like an interesting use of negative space, I think that's as good as an opportunity to talk about how like some of the stuff outside of the rendering. like um, It seems that each of the panels was done separately like um i, I don't sure. know about that that wouldn't surprise me but you know it, you don't think they're done separately they might well the way i'm reading it on comicsology it's set against uh the page is set against a black background and this has like beige borders around individual panels floating on a black page so yeah you're probably right about that might be distorted because we're reading it in a context where the gutters merge with the interface's backdrop, similar to how the white borders of my comics 
merged with the white backdrop, and that was a happy accident. I'm continuing. Yeah, I, w- I would say that the composition of each of the individual panels probably works better than the composition of the pages. True. I could definitely see wanting to get a, a framed version of one of each individual panel. But I do, as I've said, I do like the small boxy panels, like the use of small hyper-focus to, to move the story forward. Even when each individual panel transition doesn't convey a lot. Like in the third book, the scene with the doomed helicopter pilot who, because he's not a named character and he flies a helicopter that can go down and crash, he's, we know he's doomed from the start. And we see like shots from his view, the layout from a bird's eye view, images of the camera he's using to point at them. And then we cut to figures looking up at him and then his face with a oh shit expression as the vamps go up to literally jump up to the helicopter and tear him apart. Yeah, there's like a tiny nine panel grid on the bottom half of the page. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a neat effect. Well, it's kind of a horror story cliche to have like the guy who comes to the rescue in the helicopter never actually succeeds at it. The false hope. Yeah. And it's done really well here, especially the explosion. One of the few instances of warm color in this. What are you talking about? There's red all through this thing. Well, it's a dark, deeper red that kind of, that could at times pass for purple. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. There's also a cool, like, um, hand lettering effect on the explosion. A boom. Yeah. Yeah. Not all the hand lettering works, like, with the yummy expression above the little girl vamp, but when it works, it really works here. Yeah. The lettering is pretty nice throughout this. There's, like, a custom font for the head vampire, and there's a bunch of tiny little um, hand lettering effects throughout that, um... That like obviously they're done by the same guy who did the art, so they feel like they really fit in. It's just it. Um, it says letters and design by Robbie Robbins, so I guess he's another leg of this team. Ah, yeah. so perhaps some of them aren't. But um, what it seemed weird that it has um, like well, it has caption boxes that have a unique font to them, but. Just the speech balloons between everyone else just use, like, standard comic font and, like, standard word balloons, which I guess that's a bit of a concession to readability. I imagine, like, most comic readers, like, picking up this, it may be very, very different from what they're expecting and having all the words, like, all the words be done in something, like, far from the norm... Well, the basic human font for this is the kind of the standard all-caps sans font that we see in comics. So it does do a good job to differentiate voices, like the caption voices of the omniscient narrator, the 
vampire dialogue, Vicente's own more refined font, because since I guess he's the head vampire, he's a bit classier. Yeah. But um for three for three issues it certainly got gave me a lot to think about this one. I really enjoyed reading this. I enjoyed doing this because it was better to have like a complete work to judge as opposed to a, a single issue in isolation where we're just trying to make sense of the pictures. Yeah, it was getting the whole story. You don't have to wonder, oh, I wonder if this was set up in the previous issues. And oh. Yeah, it's not like we're reading a comic tie-in done by a large committee to get it out on time where the only thing of note that happens is a guy barfing up the literal deus ex machina cosmic cube to restore the real Captain America. Yes, uh, Neil messaged me during the week and apparently Secret Empire finished and it finished in a way that was infuriating. It's... I think infuriating takes it too far because that would imply I was expecting something good. I mean, really, the scenes with the real Captain America going to fight his Nazi evil twin, they're just what you expect. And I guess it's kind of gratifying to see him finally back to punching Nazis, but it was a... It was the flimsiest deus ex machina plotting possible to have the thing needed to save the day literally be barfed up by a guy whose power is to barf up whatever he wants. Yeah. So while the main hero in this comic winning the fight at the end is perhaps a little far-fetched, it could be a whole hell of a lot worse. Oh, yes. I t- I, in contrast with mainstream... Marvel Comics these days. I take back everything I could possibly say about this. Well, not... Well, I mean, there's still... There's always things about craft to debate and discuss and improve, but it could be so much worse. Yeah, I guess, like, my final takeaway from this on the art is that, like, I think, like, there are really a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of interesting approaches kind of trying to work, like, it seems to be working backwards from how, like, a human eye would see a scene. Like, like naturally, you'd see the colour first and then the detail comes in later. And trying to, fo- like, there's such a strong focus on trying to, like, the feel of a scene above everything else. Like, I think that's, like, an interesting way to approach, like, composing images like, even outside of a comics context. That the eye is the camera, right. I I think you were the first one who put that in words for me, so thank you. I'm, Something sure, I, I'm sure I stole it from someone else. Well, everyone steals from somewhere. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'd, like... Yeah, I'm not sh- sure if this is necessarily my favorite way to do art, but it's given me, like... Gives you a whole bunch to think about, and who knows? I may incorporate some of this into one of my current projects. Yeah, you feel a little bit more comfortable about dropping backgrounds in favor of a texture. True, as long as the texture is interesting. Yeah, but yes, that was Thirty Days of Night, Volume One, and 
next week, I believe, we're going back to our usual schedule, unless yeah, this people a... like this different format. Yeah, feel free to let us know how you how you guys feel about us doing like a graphic novel rather than two random single issues. Like, I thought this was a fun approach, but we also well, did just spend like 35 minutes talking about one comic, so too much for you guys, but yeah. Well, we'd pick comic with the wire selection, we'd pick comics that have more to talk about. Like, we're not going to pick up more books collecting tie-in arcs for Marvel crossovers. Yeah, but yeah. probably not. And the the two random issues format we were doing otherwise does force us to branch out. Like, my pick for next week is Robin Hood, The Hunt, number two, written by Joe Brucia and drawn by Idiano Silva. In case you haven't heard, Robin Hood is one of Xenoscope's many properties that are public domain heroes, except with a lot more boobs. So, see, it's spelled Robin with a Y, and she's a chick, so it's different, I guess. Yes, my pick was Southern Cross, issue 15, written by Becky Cloonan, and um, the artist is Andy Bellinger. Yeah, I'm going to be very surprised if your comic pick isn't substantially higher quality than mine since it appears to have something going on for it besides darkening and sexing up a public domain property. Well, I I think that's probably a safe bet, but I'm not counting Robin Hood out yet. Like that would True. also that your description would also apply to what was that Alan Moore project? Lost Girls? I yes. haven't read that. I'll admit I don't have anything against erotic comics. But this doesn't. This seems to be softcore erotica. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll end up doing Lost Girls for one of these episodes. Perhaps. If the... we never actually published the tarot episode we did early on, right? Yeah, we um, yeah, in one of our, our practice episodes of this, we talked about an issue of Tarot Witch of the Black Rose. But I, we'll, we may get more into that next week. That's it for this week. Uh, where can people find you online, Neil? I'm at wirecats.com, W-Y-R-E-C-A-T-S. And you? And you can find my stuff at daveclarkart.com, and that's Clark with an E. And until next week, see ya. Bye.